Welcome to Soft Skills 101, Life Skills for a Digital Age. This podcast is sponsored by the Ultimate Podcast Network and True North Homeschool Academy. True North offers live online classes, clubs, ebooks, and more, including our upcoming orienteering course. Know where you want to go and how to get there. The goal of orienteering is to empower each student to identify where their passion, interests, and occupation intersect, explain the differences between work, career, and vocation to show how each contributes to the student's personal pathway. Teach students awareness and optimization of their own learning habits. Identify personal strengths and weaknesses using an array of assessment tools. Students will leave class with a personal pathway based on strengths, interests, passions, and giftings paired with real-world career exploration. Students will identify careers of possibility with multiple viable paths to personal success and occupational well-being. Each student will complete a capstone project presenting a personal pathway of their own, showing interest zones, job opportunities, and a contingency plan of their own design. Group discussion, personal discovery, and dynamic assessment are components to this course. Orienteering. Life's too complicated to navigate by a sense of direction. Know where you want to go and how to get there. Equip your student to chart their own course. Pair them with proven techniques and empower them to handle adversity. Without further ado, Lisa Neary of True North Homeschool Academy and guest Ali Thomas present the soft skills of flexibility and adaptability. Hello, everybody. This is Lisa Nearing with Soft Skills 101, Life Skills for a Digital Age. And I'm so excited to have with me here today, Allie Thomas. Allie has dedicated her career to connecting students to international education opportunities. And you're going to hear a lot more about that as we do the interview. She completed her undergraduate studies at Vanderbilt University and went on to earn her ed, her Master's of Ed in International Education Policy from Harvard University. She has her certification in teaching English as a second language and has taught world languages to a variety of age groups from early childhood to adult learners. She is passionate about language learning. At this point, she's contributed to education projects on six of the seven continents and is always looking for new ways to make international education more accessible and engaging. Before starting Ni Hao Chinese, she worked as an administrator and director of international programs for a Christian school network. In 2018, she co-founded Ni Hao Chinese with her business partner to connect more U.S. students with international educational opportunities and promote global understanding through language learning. Allie is passionate about providing children a window to the world through Chinese language instruction with Ni Hao Chinese. And I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today, Allie. We met at Great Homeschool Conventions in Missouri, and our booths were across from each other. We had a great time visiting and um, you're one of my daughter's favorite people now, so <laughs> it's great to have you here. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah, that was just one of those kismet moments where I looked across the aisle and I go, great, we're going to have a lot to talk about. And so did. Yeah, and we've continued the conversation. It's been awesome. So we are talking about the soft skill of flexibility and adaptability. And what better way to talk about that through, than through language, which also goes into the soft skill communication. But um, your whole life, uh, adult career life, has been about higher education and language acquisition. So how do the, those two go along hand in hand, maybe, from your point of view? Yes, I think so. Um, that was never really my plan to go into that as my career. But as we find, sometimes there are bigger plans for us that we're not aware of. and so. Mm-hmm. 
for me, kind of, I just kept going in my direction of passion. And for me, that was understanding people different than myself and cultures different than myself. And through that, that really motivated a lot of foreign language study, international study. And the first thing you learn when you're a fish out of water in a different culture or a different language is how to be adaptable, how to be flexible, and how to open your mind to take in the whole experience. So, yeah, as you highlighted, Lisa, there's a lot to dive into there. Right. But you didn't really start out in Chinese. I mean, that's your whole world right now in some ways. You started out in a different, a whole different world, literally, right? <laughs> I did, yes. Um, when I was still in high school, I did a mission trip in Mexico and I had studied Spanish and I speak Spanish now and I'm so grateful for that um, opportunity and skill set. But kind of through that, it got me into the international realm. And I really thought if you would have asked me 10 years ago, I would have thought I'd be doing a lot of work in Latin America. And that was something very much of interest. But kind of as I kept going down that path to understand international education and all of that, I kept being nudged in the direction of Asia, which is something I never expected. Um, I didn't even use chopsticks until I was probably 21 years old. So (laughs) it's true. And I've gotten better, but there's all practice makes perfect. Um, But yeah, so for me, I didn't think that was something that was really within my sandbox. But opportunities kept aligning. And I worked with a lot of students from Asia while working with the Christian School Network and had the opportunity to go to Asia for the first time, Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, through that job. And that just really opened my eyes to a whole new world of possibilities. So did you love Asia when you first got there? Where'd you go when you first went? Sure. So my very first trip, I did a solo trip by myself um, to Vietnam. And so that was one of those things where it was a place I'd always wanted to go to, but I didn't know much about And it was about a 30-hour flight process from St. Louis, Missouri, where I live, to get to Hanoi. And I landed at about 1.30 in the morning by myself in Hanoi, Vietnam, and thought, oh gosh, what have I done? Um, One of those things were kind of, okay, well, we can't go back now, so let's dive in and make the best of it. Mm -hmm. And um, I really got to practice that adaptability, I'll tell you. And that first trip, I was by myself for two weeks in Vietnam, both Hanoi and Ho Chi Minh City, and both personally and professionally, that was an experience that really just opened my mind and kind of, once for me, that fish out of water experience, once I had it, there was no going back. It definitely changed me in really positive ways. So, um, yeah, but landing by yourself at 1.30 in the morning when you don't speak the language and have to use charades in the airport to find your way to the hotel, that was something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, only now I can tell the full story. <laughs> yeah, so can you, can you think specifically about some of the ways you feel like it changed you? To do something so crazy. I mean, and yeah. what did your mom think? <laughs> well, no, exactly. Well, and that's why I said, you know, now I can tell her the full story. But when I landed, and I will say too, my mom was a flight attendant. And so she traveled the world, whatever that gene is, I definitely got it from her. But I think for her, it's a little different when it's your child going versus when it's yourself. Um, 
So I think for me, it taught me to just kind of be open a little bit more, which you would think going into an experience like that, there's a lot of fear or misunderstanding. But I found for myself kind of sometimes leaning into that fear Mm -hmm. is where some of the best things happened. So even for me, say, for example, I had one day totally by myself and it would have been very easy to stay in my hotel room and just be comfortable and chat with friends from home or something like that. But I thought, you know, I'm here. How I want to go out and see this region, um, the Ninbin province. It's where they filmed um, movies like Avatar and King Kong and things like that. So beautiful, beautiful countryside. Um, And so I basically had made a friend at the hotel registration desk. I asked her what she recommended. She connected me with another friend. And before I knew it, I ended up on a bus heading out there as the only American on the whole bus, which is a great experience to have. Um, And it really made me think through some of my own culture, kind of through an outside perspective. Um, But in doing so, I met great friends from the Philippines who basically saw me, asked me how I was traveling by myself, and just adopted me into their family. Um, We still stay in touch today, and it got to the point where even toward the end of that day, they were including me in their family photos. Oh, I love that. I think, yeah, it's one of those things where I find the more international travel that I do, the more that I realize that people are good and people are kind and we want to take care of each other. Oh, that is beautiful. That is really awesome. So one of the things we do in one of our classes called orienteering is we actually talk about failure and how failure is really a jumping off point. It's not an end and it's not a definitive experience or moment or thing. It's just a place to grow from. And you mentioned like lean into the fear. And so sometimes we have to do that. Like we're terrified. And then how do you get over that? Like, what do you do? How do you talk yourself into it? I think the first time you do it is always going to be the hardest. Mm -hmm. um, Because after you have one of those kind of blossoming experiences from leaning into the fear, you know that it's possible. But you also, nobody's ever a professional at it, I think. And you, it's really one of those things where we have to challenge ourselves to grow and adapt. And... I think just keeping an open mind with it and being willing to course correct once you're doing it. Um, Mm -hmm. This reminds me a little bit of an experience when I was in Shanghai, China. This was a different trip and I had been invited to give a talk to middle school students there. And so I went in and this is an age group that I love to work with and I was asked to present on goal setting. So I go in with my American perspective. I have my lecture slides on PowerPoint and we were talking about smart goals, right? Things that um, exactly something that all of us are familiar with specific, measurable, et cetera, et cetera. And so I went into it really kind of ready to do my workshop as I typically would. And I work with international students in the U.S. So I've thought, okay, culturally this might work. Um, But what I didn't know going into it is that this presentation was scheduled at the end of their 12-hour school day, right before their free time. Mm -hmm. And they only got about an hour and a half of free time at their school. 
And so as you can imagine, student engagement for something like that was a challenge. So I went into it thinking, okay, this is going to be exact kind of, I went in with my educator perspective, with my lesson plan. I got up, they put me on stage and I go, oh, already this is not the dynamic I thought it would be. So I did that, what I set out to do for about the first five minutes. And I thought, oh gosh, I can't have five more minutes like this. It's just not going to work. And so what we ended up doing is really kind of shifting. And so I, it was definitely a fear moment for me where I thought, oh gosh, they've brought me in. They think that I'm going to provide this experience for their students, but the students just aren't accessing it in the way that I expected. So what I ended up doing was really changing it from more of a lecture workshop style to really a Q&A because that is something that I think it's a human gift of curiosity. We all have it. And here I was halfway around the world. And for some of these students, the first American they'd ever met. So I thought, okay, well, let's lean into this. I'll ask, I'll answer any questions that you have for me, which also opening that up with middle schoolers is is an interesting (laughs) idea to begin with. Um, And I got questions all across the board from what my family was like, what my schooling was like, what is it like to be a middle schooler in the U.S.? What is a school dance like? Um, is high school musical real? <laughs> Things like that. And so from there, we started talking. And then that became a natural point to dive into talking about goal setting. Because they're kind of thinking, okay, what, does, what would my life look like here? What does my own school look like compared to this other culture? And so we kind of through there, we were able to talk a little bit about, oh, if this is your idealized version of school, how can you make your experience more like that? But it was messy behind the scenes. Oh, but what a beautiful segue into something that really could connect with the kids. I love that. Thank you. Well, and I think that's really what, through my work in education, I think connection is really that integral part because we all remember subjects that really got us fired up and passionate to learn where you're reading outside of class to catch up and learn all the ways around the issue mm-hmm. or a teacher that really impacted us or a counselor or a pastor, someone who's really been able to connect with us in a real way. Mm-hmm. And that is a motivator. So that's something that I think too, for us, as we kind of go into learning and all the various types and how much we're able to do through digital learning and Mm -hmm. all of that, that connection, I think remains so important for students because if you've got that, you've got engagement and you've got interest. Yes, exactly. So I'm just curious, why would you say that flexibility and adaptability are even important in the first place? I mean, you have you have a lot of experience and you travel internationally. Not everybody does or wants to, but I've been spending all spring talking to parents about what's next after high school, homeschool, mm-hmm. and military, college, career, um, sports, Ivies, not, you know, Christian colleges, whatever. Um, do you think it's really important to think about these issues and how do we, how do we help our kids start thinking about it in high school as they're segueing from kid in junior high? to young adult in high school, and then a a young career professional kiddo out in the world making their way. Do you think it's more important than ever or less important? Our world becoming 
broader in some ways and more stylized in other ways. I think that's not, maybe not the right word, but. Oh, um, I know exactly what you mean. And I, I actually just recently attended a talk here in St. Louis with Professor Joe Fuller from the Harvard Business School. And he was talking about the future of work. And so right now I'm jumping kind of all the way to the end of that career piece. But he was talking about how kind of as work and as our industries change, we're setting people up for jobs that have never existed before. Mm -hmm. And so with that, the inherent adaptability is so important. And he also shared, um, and he, he's a brilliant man too. He's written a lot around this. If somebody's interested, I recommend um, following up with some of his articles. But he was talking about the one constant in all of this is soft skills. That's something that can't be digitized. That's something that can't be outsourced. And if we have those soft skills, that intuition, that emotional EQ, we're able to kind of look at the big picture and see all of the opportunities out there and really also think through the human perspective to make sure that whatever task it might be that somebody would be overseeing in a job, whether they're doing it or it's something that's digitized, it's something where you need that human perspective, that human mind and human heart mm -hmm. to be connected to the people it's serving. So like I said, jumping all the way to career, I think it's really important. Um, thinking through kind of junior high into high school and all of that, I think adaptability is key because our interests change and our interests shift. And I think um, kids do well when they're able to identify areas of passion. And so being adaptable in the way that you might think, oh, you know, I really thought I was more of a math kid. I, but I can be a math kid and I can also be interested in British literature. Yes. yes. And so I think being adaptive in our own self-concept of kind of who we are and what we're good at, when we have an open mind with that, it opens up more possibilities. I love that too. It really talks about the growth mindset where I, when I was growing up, it seemed like you were either really good at English or you were good at math. Like I didn't really understand that I could actually learn grammar until I was in my mid forties because I just thought I didn't have the grammar gene. You know what I mean? And no one talked about the growth mindset and that you can really, you know, learn a lot of different things. There's actually skills to learning, just learn the skills and you can apply them to almost anything. And wow, that like opened up a whole world of possibilities. So I do think having that growth mindset of just, yeah, if you want to learn this, even though you might be more STEM oriented, Britlet should be delved into. Jane Austen is not to be missed, right? You know, ever. <laughs> so, and vice versa, of course. I'm curious what your Chinese students think about learning English or what is what do they think about the business that you're doing? And are they excited about the, the fact that we can communicate um, across the, this broad expanse of continent and worldview difference? That's a great question, Lisa. I think, so having worked with international students, I'm lucky to have a lot of good alumni um, who I stay in touch with. And with hearing kind of what we've jumped into with how Chinese and offering opportunities for American students to learn Chinese, they've been so excited. Um, because for them, learning English is a really big part of the curriculum of their schools. It's something that parents want. And for them to see on the other side that, oh, people are interested in us too, 
I think that's really something that's been exciting for them. Um, and just to see, oh, wow, you're helping to make more people know about kind of our way of life and our culture and what our families look like. That's been something that I've seen a lot of pride in the eyes of my students with, and they're excited to share and kind of be an ambassador of that. Um, and it's really special too, when you have students who, you know, are off in university or this or the other who are saying, let me know how I can help. Um, so that's pretty neat. It's always wonderful. Um, and I say, you know, when you're a teacher, your students are your students for life. They might go on and they, you might not hear from them for 10 years, but as soon as you're in the same room, it's a, you still have that dynamic and connection. So they've been really excited. And I think, too, even just having international students at the schools where we've worked at, the schools and even the Americans have seen it as a way where they're kind of more open to it in general too. Mm -hmm. So mostly we've been um, really greeted with a lot of enthusiasm by schools and educators, just because this is something that we're trying to make accessible for students and families. And there have been resources out there, but not ones that necessarily meet students where they're at. Mm -hmm. So we really work a lot with students that don't have a baseline in the Chinese language or culture and are helping to connect them so they can build that foundation all the way up. So can we, do you mind if we just spend a few minutes talking about foreign language acquisition? Because I, I, it's something I wanted to do in my own home for years and years. And finally, as I like moving through kids, like my last couple were really nailing it. Like we've gotten one solid one down. My, my youngest is really working. She has plans for her third language coming up this fall. So I feel like we're finally kind of getting a hold of it. But a couple questions I have for you are, what do you think about great programs like Duolingo and Rosetta Stone? They're free, they're apps, they're fun. Um, how is that different than taking a class with a live teacher? And where is the place for both of those? Sure. And I think you've already made a really astute observation that there is a place for all different types of language learning here. And things like Duolingo and Rosetta Stone are great for if you're going to be on the ground and needing to use the language to communicate, to get around and all of that. I've used some of those apps when traveling. Um, I was able to learn a good amount of Portuguese actually through Duolingo when I was working with some schools in Brazil, um, but it was not enough for me to ever sit down and write a professional letter or to read a book or anything like that. It was much more kind of that quick and dirty approach to foreign language for really boot camp 101, what you need to function when your plane lands in that country. So for me, great asset there. And um, it's free and approachable. You can do it on your own time and all of that. But also with doing it on your own time, there are different types of learners. And I know for myself, I'll have an intrinsic motivation to study a foreign language for about maybe four weeks. And then <laughs> I think, oh, it's starting to get hard. We're starting yeah. to conjugate verbs. For me to actually learn a language and learn it well, I find working with a teacher in a live dynamic classroom is so important. So for us with Ni Hao Chinese, all of our classes are live, um, taught by certified teachers and all of that. So mm -hmm. I'm lucky to get to do Chinese classes with our teachers. Mm -hmm. And it's really been amazing because with a lot of the Asian languages have tones 
So something, yes. So, and that's something that for us Americans, we really, that can rattle us when you hear that, you know, ma and ma mean different things. Mm -hmm. And so for me, working with a teacher in Chinese, because I'd had exposure to the Chinese language for years, but had never really been able to grasp it. But with just my first session working with one of our teachers, she was able to see the way I was conceiving it, mm-hmm. kind of figure out what my stumbling block was and work through it with me. Oh, cool. so that was great. So for some of those skill sets that you need when approaching a foreign language, we can all memorize vocabulary. We can all memorize kind of verb charts and structures. I've taken Latin too. So I've done a lot of things, um, you know, the different meanings and endings, but for actually being able to bridge that gap between understanding the mechanics and usage, I think working with a live teacher really makes a huge difference for my learning style. And we've seen really quick acquisition happen in those ways, just because you are working with somebody who can adapt the lesson to exactly what you need. Exactly. Yeah. And to have a native speaker. Um, We found that this year with our Hebrew classes to have a native speaker, just even to like, he brought in some video clips from Sesame Street that they play in Israel and the kids immediately connected, you know, I mean, he just had so many resources that made it so much more real and plausible and doable that you can't get from just a workbook on your own, can you? Exactly. And that's one thing where we did um, a series this year called Passport to China, which was all about connecting students with the Chinese culture And we did it a lot around the holiday of the Chinese New Year, which for them is their major holiday. It's really a family reunion type holiday, like Thanksgiving would be for us. And so to have the teacher actually sharing what she does in her home for the holiday and what her family is like, what foods they serve and all of that, you get a lot of those intangible lessons Mm -hmm. um, that make it just so much more approachable. And like you said, The resources that they have in their own language are vast. And for a language like Chinese, that accent and those tones, to learn it from the very beginning from somebody who is a native speaker, Mm -hmm. oh goodness, when we have students who are six years old and starting with us, I just wish I would have been six years old Uh starting. It might have been easier, but that's okay. (laughs) Well, they can hear it. And, And I think that is one thing. We don't realize how different a tonal language is, that just the variations of tone change the word. I mean, the literal word, which is a different way of thinking about language. And that's how I once called myself a frog on accident in conversation. When you do that with high school students, they're quick to tell you when you call yourself a frog. That's awesome. Thank you for listening to Soft Skills 101, Life Skills for Digital Age. Allie Thomas will be joining us next week to continue our interview on flexibility and adaptability. Join us next time.